If you would, take your Bible and open to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Kids, things are a little bit different this morning. Those of you that are in the room, uh, kids in the room, we are not doing our Elevate Children's Church this morning, and we don't have other childcare here because, frankly, we just, our volunteers uh, took such a hit this last week with, with COVID and other things going on that we weren't able to do that this, this week, but we're going to get back on track, kids. I know many of you kids are, are watching at home with your, uh, with your families right now. We're not doing Wednesday night this week. But next Sunday morning, we're ready to go. Uh, next Sunday morning, we're hoping to get right back on our regular schedule. The following Wednesday night, the 26th, I'm ready to eat Wednesday, Wednesday night meal with you all at 5 o'clock. I always look forward to that. We're going to get our group started, kids' activities started. So, so we're coming. Thanks for being understanding, patient uh, about, about this particular Sunday. Those of you kids that are watching at home with your families and kids that are in the room, This Sunday is a great Sunday to draw a picture of the Bible story. So as I'm telling the story and you're seeing the verses and hearing the verses on the screen, this is a great great Sunday. Uh, Let me see those pictures. This is a good Sunday that you can draw some of the things that, that are happening in the story. So when I was standing out in the lobby this morning waiting for uh, for people to, to show up, I looked out our front windows there to uh, to Western Avenue. And I saw this big 27-foot blue RV heading down the road. If you see a big RV headed down the road and it's big and blue, there's a good chance that that is Patty Ann. Uh, Patty Ann is Oklahoma Baptist's pregnancy mobile unit. Um, and the cool thing about this particular mobile unit is many people in our church have been involved in helping this make, hap- make this uh, mobile unit happen. And we also have a group of guys in our church that do maintenance work on Patty Ann, keep Patty Ann running. Uh, the lady who directs this mobile unit, Gayla was telling me this morning, she will just spend time in prayer, driving around, praying, Lord, take me to the right place. Put me in the right place where I can park this van and the people that need to come to see these ultrasounds, to be counseled, to be prayed for, that they will come. And there are some miracle stories that have happened because of that, because of the work that's happening around our state to be able to reach out and to say, young mom, you're, you're seen, you're loved, you're cared for, and that baby you're carrying is immensely valuable. And we love you, and we love that child, and we want to be a part of helping you in that process. And so if you see Patty Ann driving around, just say a prayer that she'll get parked in the right, the right place, and uh, if you want to be a part of some of that that's happening, if, if you want to volunteer in those ways, we'd love to tell you more about what that looks like. So I just want to pray on, for us, for our church, for our state, especially for our nation um, on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and then we're going to get into Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 11 here in just a minute. Let's take a moment, those of you at home, those of you here in the room, let's just prepare our hearts through this time of uh, prayer, and then we're going to get into God's Word together. Let's pray together. Father, we, we recognize deeply uh, and, and profoundly just the evil that exists in our world uh, with the, the killing of unborn children. God, the, the pain and the grief and the evil that that is. And God, we recognize that. And we pray that over the coming year, as important legislation is at work and things are being reviewed in our, in our nation, God, that that we would not be characterized by this, that there would be changes made. 
And God, as we think about as a church and individuals seeking to respond in these ways, God, I pray, thankful for a church that is committed to loving and caring for these young moms and their children. God, a church that is committed to foster care and adoption, a church that is committed to reaching out through things like these Hope Pregnancy Centers. God, that at the same time that we are adamantly opposed to abortion, at the very same moment, God, that we are full of your love and your mercy and your grace and your desire that life would flourish. We know the enemy comes to still kill and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. And Father, we pray for life. God, let that characterize us, our churches together. And Father, thank you for a church family that is committed to that in so many ways. And God, I know there might be people in the room or people at home listening or watching who have been affected by abortion in very direct ways. God, I pray that your mercy and forgiveness and hope would be at work. And God, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, would bring healing and ultimately victory for your kingdom. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a question as we get, we get started. Has anyone ever said anything to you, called you something, made a statement to you that you just can't get out of your head? Uh, this might have been last week. It might have been 40 years ago. Could have been a parent. Could have been a coach. Could have been a friend. Whoever it was, they said something to you, and in a way that goes way out of proportion for however many words were used, it just plays in your head over and over and over again throughout your life. If it was something positive, like you're loved no matter what, you're valuable, you're gonna make a difference in the world, it might provide motivation for you, wanting to live up to that. It provided comfort and stability to your life. But if it was something negative, you don't matter. I can't believe you would do that. Why aren't you more like person X over there? Those statements, friends, those play around in our heads over and over again. And you spend your whole life trying to run away from that. You spend your whole life haunted by what someone said about you or your actions or identity, and it's hard to get past those things in the way that it affects us in our lives. This morning, we come to a passage that's famously called the baptism of Jesus. Like if your, if your Bible has those bold headings before Bible verses, it's probably called the baptism of Jesus. We're going to talk a lot about the baptism of Jesus this morning but think about this not so much just as the baptism of Jesus, but what we're learning here is about the identity of Jesus. Who Jesus is and what he will do and the way that that shapes his entire life, his entire ministry. So if you're keeping notes at home or if you're taking notes here, there's really two points, two overall points to the sermon. There's the identity of Jesus, point A, and there's our identity, our personal identity, point two. There'll be a couple of sub-ideas, but point A the dominating point in this passage is about the identity of Jesus. Point B is our identity, how we respond to that. So let's get started in verse 9. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now the first part of this verse in these days that John is baptizing, we see Jesus coming here, 
And for those of you who love the maps in the back of your Bible, or who get really excited about the historical study of Scripture and the cultural background and those type of things, that's where this becomes very important. Because point number one is how the identity of Jesus was shaped by his unexpected background. Up to this point in the gospel, many people have been coming from Judea and Jerusalem to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. The, the Holy Land at this time, the area where Jesus' ministry was taking place, you have to divide it in your mind between north and south. South is called Judea, north is called Israel at this time, or more likely at this time, the way it's going to be referred to is Galilee. Judea in the south, Galilee in the north. Judea, and especially Jerusalem, they were particularly religious people, uh, a little bit more refined, a little bit more buttoned up, had it a little bit more together. If you were from Galilee, you were kind of from the sticks. Uh, people from Galilee were thought to talk in a funny way. I don't know if you've ever been accused of talking in a funny way, but if you were from Galilee, people knew you were from Galilee largely because of your accent. Uh, you know, you probably didn't come from as much money as everybody else did. You didn't come from the same background that everybody else did. John has been telling the people, John the Baptist has been telling the people, one greater than me is coming and he's going to bring the kingdom of God. And the people are like, yes, the Messiah is coming from Nazareth of Galilee? Like, remember what Nathaniel said in John chapter 1? What good can come from Nazareth? What, what comes from there? How could the one greater, the one who's going to come to bring the kingdom of God, he doesn't come from there, does he? This is Jesus' unexpected background. What I think Mark is doing here, this is Mark's version almost of the Christmas story. Because remember in the other Gospels, what makes Jesus' birth so surprising are the circumstances around his birth, where it takes place, how humble it is. This is Mark's way of saying Jesus' background is not in Jerusalem. It's not with those who have money or power. If we're attracted to religious pride and power, Jesus is not our guy. If we find ourselves driven toward religious pride and religious power, we're not following the way of Jesus. Mark is saying here, the ministry of Jesus is going to be shaped by his background. He's going to be called to those who are sick, not those who have it all together. He's going to be called to many people, not just the insiders. So already we're starting to see this picture of Jesus' ministry playing itself out. Here's the second part of that verse, second part of verse 9, where it says that he comes here and he's going to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. When he gets to the Jordan River, notice Jesus doesn't just push his cousin out of the way. I don't know if any of you guys ever had rivalries with your cousins, if you're ever like, trying to, to compete for, for what's best here, but John doesn't come, or Jesus doesn't come up to John and say, hey, Nice camel uh, sweater you got going on there, and uh, your locust could use some more honey. Now get out of the way. I'm taking over. He doesn't come and do that. He doesn't come and push John out of the way. He comes and submits to John's baptism here. Uh, there's a famous story uh, in, the New Te- or in the Old Testament from 2 Kings 5 where this leader named Naaman is told by the prophet that if he wants to be cleansed, he should go to the Jordan and and immerse himself seven times in the Jordan River. And he says, I'm not going to go there. His pride almost got in the way of experiencing the work of God in his life. Here's Jesus going to that Jordan River to be baptized by John. Now the question is, 
why is Jesus baptized? And this is a hard question because Mark doesn't give us a straightforward answer. Jesus does not need to be baptized because of sin, because we know that Jesus is without sin. And so someone might read the Bible and they might ask you, hey, you read the Bible, don't you? Why was Jesus baptized? It's kind of a tough thing to answer, but let me give you three reasons why Jesus was baptized that seems to make sense, not only of what's going on here in Mark, but what we see, see in the big picture. Why was Jesus baptized? The first is, he is purposefully identifying with John's ministry. He is saying, what John has been speaking to you about the kingdom of God coming, and about the need for confession and repentance, and the need to turn back to the Lord, this is a good message. Jesus is validating what John has been saying because many of the themes of John's ministry are going to be carried forward in Jesus' ministry. This need for confession and renewal and repentance and the kingdom of God is coming, those things are happening. And so Jesus, by entering into this baptism, says, hey, this is going on the right direction and I'm gonna bring it to fulfillment. This is good what John has been saying to you. Now watch what it looks like when it's lived out. So he identifies with John's ministry. He's also purposefully identifying with the people that he's come to save. By being baptized here, he is standing in line. He is identifying with those of us who do need salvation, who do need to be cleansed. This is the picture of Jesus' full humanity on display, that when he comes to bring salvation, he goes to the people. He becomes like the people that he is going to save. And so he identifies with us. We're gonna talk a lot more next week about when Jesus comes with his ministry, he's identifying himself as the perfect people of God, the perfect Israel. He's living out the Israel story. And so in doing that, he comes and stands in line. He gets in line for baptism because he wants to say, I am with you and I have come to bring salvation for you. And the third reason that we see in his baptism is it previews his ministry. That when he comes here for baptism, in this moment, he's giving a picture of what he is going to do in his ministry. He's going to humbly serve. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That in his baptism, we see a preview of his death and resurrection. That what happens from the very beginning of his ministry begins to shape where things are going to go. I'll read you a quick quote from a, from a commentary about this. I try, I try not to use too many quotes in sermons because I know it's hard to follow just audibly, but just a short quote here that I, I found interesting this week. In his baptism, Christ was not cleansed by the water, but instead began the cleansing of creation. The water does not cleanse him, he cleanses the water. That when Jesus comes at his baptism, we begin to see the work of God on display. We begin to see this work of salvation that Jesus is going to bring. Now, how does the Father, the Heavenly Father, respond to this baptism? Look at verse 10. Look at what happens in verse 10. So Jesus has been shaped by his background. He's been shaped by his baptism. And then in verse 10, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. How does the Father respond to his baptism? He rips open heaven. Like the verse that's, or the, the verb that's used here, the word that's used here, it's not the gentle 
opening, like the person at Christmas who perfectly opens the Christmas present so that the paper doesn't tear and you could somehow use it again, that's not this kind of opening. This is the word for ripping something. This is the person who doesn't care what happens to the paper. They just rip it open and throw it all across the room. Heaven is being ripped open at this point. Now, here's where the Gospel of Mark becomes so much fun. The only other place that the word for ripped open is used in Mark's Gospel is at the crucifixion of Jesus when the curtain in the temple is ripped open. The two places in Mark's Gospel that he uses this very particular verb is here at the baptism of Jesus, the beginning of his ministry that's going to lead to the cross, the heavens are ripped open, and then at his crucifixion, the curtain, that dividing curtain in the temple, dividing from the Holy of Holies, is ripped open. And this is not just about allowing us to have access to the presence of God. This is the presence of God spilling out into the world. I love how one person said it this week. When Jesus comes out of the water, Mark tells us all heaven breaks loose. Uh, We often say all hell broke loose. At the baptism of Jesus, all heaven breaks loose into the world. The heavens are opened up. Uh, Famous verse in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1. Rend the heavens and come down, that we would see your power and justice at work in the world. The heavens are broken up and the power and the love of God is spilled out. What does that look like? Well, it just says right here at the, at the end of verse 10. It says, and the Spirit was descending on him like a dove. What's going on here? Well, we know that John has already said that Jesus is going to baptize in the Spirit. So this is the equipment, this is the preparation for what Jesus is going to do in being empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you... Uh, If you're taking notes or you're making notes in your Bible, right next to the Spirit descending on him, make a note about Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61. What is happening there is Isaiah 61 is a passage that Jesus will actually use in his ministry to say that the Spirit of God has come on me and has prepared me to preach good news to the poor. Uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives. This is a verse that Jesus says is fulfilled in his ministry. As the Spirit descends on him, this is coming to fulfillment. Now, here's the interesting thing. Kids, If those of you who are drawing pictures of the Bible story, why is a dove descending on Jesus? Or why does it look like, as the Spirit comes, a dove is descending on Jesus? And remember, if you don't know what a dove is, it's the same word for pigeon. So if if dove doesn't bring a lot to your mind, this word is also used in reference to pigeons, and we know what pigeons look like. Uh, And there's some of you here that would be terrified if a bird started to come and land on you. Uh, Those of you that are a little bit terrified of birds, that would prefer birds not to to be uh, around you, this is not a good story for you, I know. We've had a couple of Sundays where we've had birds here in the room, um, and they've, you know, caused a little bit of a mess on a few people when they, we were here in the room. So maybe that was a sign of the Holy Spirit being here, being here in the room. But as the Spirit comes like a dove, like a pigeon on Jesus, why the use of a dove here? A couple of reasons. Number one, the dove is just a really basic bird, not a flashy bird. And so the Spirit comes not like a peregrine falcon. The Spirit just comes like a dove, just on Jesus in that way. Here's another connection that I'm really fascinated by, and I think there's something going on here. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, at the time of creation, it uses a reference to the Spirit hovering over the depths at that time as the creation is going to happen. And the word there has to do with a bird hovering or, or uh, being over something. And so you have there at the very beginning of creation in Genesis 1-2 a reference to the Spirit being like a bird over the creation. Then the Noah's story, after the flood, Noah sends out the dove to go over the water and then to come back. Every time it looks like God is going to do a new creation in the world, you have a bird over water representing the spirit at work over the water. So here at the baptism of Jesus, as the spirit comes, it seems to be a signal to us that the new creation is dawning, that God's promises for his creation are coming to fulfillment. Creation, Noah's story, now here at the baptism of Jesus, spirit, dove, water, Something new is breaking into the world here. We see this on display. But it's not just what Jesus sees, it's what he hears. Look at verse 11 here. So he sees the Spirit coming as a dove, descending on him. And then verse 11 says, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This language of Jesus as God's Son Part of that is reflecting that he is coming to fulfill Israel's role, the people of Israel as God's son, but it's also picking up on these really beautiful Old Testament connections. Psalm chapter two, I think I have those up there. Yeah, Psalm chapter two, Isaiah 42 that talks about Jesus coming as the servant of the Lord. The one place in the Old Testament that you have a reference to a beloved son is in Genesis 22 talking about Abraham taking Isaac up onto the mountain where Isaac thinks it looks like he's going to be sacrificed, but ultimately God provides the sacrifice, God provides the salvation. Very specifically there, Isaac is referred to as Abraham's beloved son. Here's this work of God, and don't miss this, friends, because this is such a sweet point. Before Jesus' ministry, before he's turned water into wine, before he's healed anything, anyone, or done anything miraculous, the Heavenly Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He is not saying that about Jesus because of what Jesus has accomplished. He is saying that about Jesus because of the relationship that he has with him. And parents, do not miss the significance of that. That your kids would know that they are loved and valued and you are pleased in them not because of what they accomplish not because of what they might do to make you proud that you are speaking words over them that say you are loved and valued and i am well pleased in you because of who you are as my child and those words carry such incredible power So we think about what that says, that it's not because of what Jesus has accomplished, it's because of this relationship that he has with the Father. And in this moment, he doesn't become the Son of God for all of eternity. He has been the Son of God. But in this moment, through his heavenly Father's voice, his ministry is being shaped. And I just don't want us to overlook the power that our words have, especially as parents or grandparents, that you would speak to your children about their identity that they are loved and secure 
and valuable and you are well pleased in them irregardless of what they have accomplished or how they have performed because of that sweet relationship that they have there. Now here's the question. That's Jesus' identity. How does that shape our response? This is point B for the sermon. This is kind of how we, we land the plane a little bit here. How do we respond to Jesus' identity? Jesus who is son, Jesus who is servant, Jesus who is savior. What does this look like for, for our response? Well, the first thing, and the most important thing, if you're watching at home, if you're here in the room, the most important thing is that you would look to Jesus and confess him as Lord and Savior, that you would believe in him, that you would trust in him for salvation, that your identity would be found in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, is used all over the New Testament. And we want to say our identity is not because of what we've accomplished or what we've done, it's because of who we are in Christ, what he has done for us. And one of the ways we display that identity, that identity that we have in Christ, is, is through baptism. That in baptism, we're identifying that, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, that what Jesus has done for me, I want people to see that. That if you're watching at home and you've never been baptized before as a follower of Jesus, if you're in the room and you have questions about, about baptism, about what it looks like to identify as a follower of Jesus, that we know from Scripture that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That those who have been baptized in Christ have been clothed with Christ. If you were to ask somebody, what's at the core of my identity? Like if you were to, this would be a hard question to ask. Frankly, I'd be terrified to ask people this about myself. If you were to ask somebody, what is most true, most central about my identity as a person? What would they say about you? Would they talk about your job? Would they talk about your role in your family? Or would they say the most central part of your life, the core defining characteristic of your life is you're a follower of Jesus, that you are in Christ, that he is everything to you, that that would be true of our lives, and that we would live out that identity. That identity of being Christ would then impact everything we do. I have a question up here on the on the screen, if you're watching at home, hopefully it'll pop back up here just, just for a moment. Question for you. Is your identity shaped by who God says you are or by what you or others say about yourself? What shapes our identity? That our identity would be based on needing validation or approval, what other people say about us? That our identity, you might be the kind of person who says, I don't really care what other people say about me, my identity is about beating other people, <laughs> like comparing myself to other people, that I would be able to achieve more and make more, and if somebody happens to get in my way, so be it. Like, my whole identity is based around this competition, this performance, I need to be better, I need to compare myself to others. Some people, our identity is based around emotions, uh, questions about sexuality and emotions and passions and how those things begin to shape our identity. Your identity, might be attached to something that you did or something that was done to you in your past. As much as you've tried to put it behind you, as much as you've tried to move on, there's something in your past that you've done or has been done to you that still shapes your identity to this very day. Some people, our identity becomes either based on who we associate with or in the weird world that we live in today, people's identity becomes shaped mainly on who their enemies are, who's on the other side. 
We spend so much time thinking about how we're not like somebody else and we're not like another political group or not like another religious group that our whole identity in life becomes about being enemies with somebody else or being different than another group and we become obsessed with those things and begin to shape how we think about our life. But what does it mean if the God of the universe ripped open the heavens and spoke down into the world and said, you are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased because your identity is found in my son Jesus Christ. That you would listen to the voice of the heavenly father. That you would look in the pages of his word to understand what your identity is all about. That the God who is able to raise the dead, the God who is able to heal your past, the God who is able to calm your fears, the God who is in perfect control of your future, that he is the one who speaks into your life, speaks into your heart and says, you are loved, you are valuable, and I'm gonna do great things through your life for my kingdom. That shapes our life in, in profound ways. So when you think about the baptism of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus reveals his identity, shapes his ministry, and it impacts what it looks like for us to be his followers. Would you bow your heads with me? I wanna pray for us right now, and then we're gonna have a chance to respond here in just a moment. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, those of you who are at home, I know I've watched, watched services at home, it's so easy to log off at the end, and if you need to do that, I understand, but, but don't miss the chance, please, to, to hear God's word, not, not anything I've said, but just, Look at these verses that reveal the identity of Jesus, the Son of God, the servant of God, the one who came as your Savior. Is there anything in your life where you feel like your stability in life, your value in life, your peace in life, it's determined by something other than what the Heavenly Father says about you? You, you find yourself knocked off when somebody says something negative about you, you're driven by trying to be better than everybody else. You're driven by your emotions. There's something about your life that's just not stable. Can I call you back to look to Jesus, to behold the Lamb of God, to look on him who brings life and hope and salvation? Maybe you're you're here or you're watching and you realize you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus. You've never publicly identified this is what it looked like for Jesus to come and I'm not like Jesus I need repentance I need to show this work of salvation that God would call you to respond in that way maybe there's somebody here a parent or a grandparent or a coach or a teacher and maybe you've missed some opportunities to speak into the lives of your kids or grandkids or students and what God is calling you to do this week is to speak into their lives and say, you are loved. You are valued. I am pleased with you, not because of what you have accomplished or might accomplish in the future, not because of what you've done in the past or haven't done in the past. I love you because of who God has created you to be. And I want you to know that. I want you to know what it is to find that hope in the gospel in Jesus Christ and that God would give you the courage to have those conversations and find that healing this week in whatever way that might come. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this incredible gospel that, that you've given to us. 
And Father, as we stand now and we sing about that gospel truth, help these words be true in our life and help us to respond however you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen.